This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Happy Monday, everyone. OMG, Halloween Woo! weekend. I'm so happy. Gone. That Done. October is over. Yeah, I guess the November 1st. Month. It was the longest month ever and Halloween just added to it. You know, having everything so like right at the tail end of the month felt really stressful. It did. But it worked out. Everyone had great Halloween costumes, including you. I know. I came in at the last minute, and I did it. I really did. I'm very proud of myself. What did you end up doing with your situation, your Halloween situation? Did you wear one of your outfits? Oh, no. I'm just repeating uh, my Olivia Rodrigo look. It was kind of a winner for me. Okay. Yeah, and everyone recognized it. it was fun. And you did your makeup and everything on your yeah, own? Yeah, yeah. I had my friend. She ended up doing my glam for me again. Okay. It was nice, you look know? at you. It was beautiful. She gave me a nice red lip. Love it. Felt like a harlot. Mmm. Hope you got some action. Okay. Well. <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> I dressed as Nicole Kidman in uh, Nine Perfect Strangers. I know. So good. It was such I a was, good costume. Yeah, it was good. It was a last minute one. And it didn't even require that much that much effort or work. It wasn't like I had to pay a lot of money. Yeah. I just got the wig pretty much. Which is always the perfect Halloween costumes where you don't got to do a little bit much. Yeah. Um, and you have everything already. Yes. It works. It works out that way. So go check out my Instagram to see me as Nicole. What, what, I, I just finished the show. What was her name again? Nicole Kidman. No, what, what's her actual character name again? I just oh. think of her as Nicole Kidman. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, well, shows how much we're paying attention to a show that we watched. I have I watched Nine Perker Strangers so long ago that I feel I like... just... Marsha. Marsha. Yeah. There you go. That was quick. Quick, semi-quick and recall. And it was Masha, not Marsha. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Masha. Marsha I is also... the Brady Bunch. <laughs> I also... She says, like, Papushka or something. I thought it was Babushka. Because she was... She's Russian. I know, but Babushka's the only Rush, like thing that I know. And so when I told my social media Are you sure person, that's even a that, that Babushka thing? is a thing that you say that... I think it's Yiddish. It's like, Babushka. And then I... In my head, it's almost like I heard that. Yeah. But then it's not. It's Papushka or something like that. Oh, it's with a P. Anyway, yeah. check that out. That show. I binge-watched it over the weekend, too. It's very good. But anyway, lots coming up on the show today. I'm so excited to talk about the history behind the iconic Mills College um, and its impact on the LGBTQ community because it is at risk of shutting down. So we have some folks joining us for that at 425 p.m. Pacific, 725 p.m. Eastern. Plus, a Hollywood actor has come out in his new book... We're celebrating him in the T-Report in a moment. First, let's get into some What's Trending this hour, though. 
The Supreme Court today turned down an appeal from a Catholic hospital in California that was sued after refusing to perform a hysterectomy for a, a transgender man. The court's denial, issued without comment, sends the lawsuit back to the state court for further proceedings against the hospital and avoids for now the issue of when claims of religious freedom can trump anti-discrimination laws. Now, Queen Elizabeth has been told by doctors to rest and take a break from work. I mean, she is pretty old and she's been having some health issues. With that, she couldn't make it to Glasgow. So she recorded a message for the COP26 Climate Summit. Of course, the benefits of such actions will not be there to enjoy for all of us here today. We none of us will live forever. But we are doing this not for ourselves, but for our children and our children's children and those who will follow in their footsteps. Yes, Queen Elizabeth, you've still got it. I was feeling that voice. I mean, she's sounding pretty sturdy over there. I mean, she's 95. (laughs) She was probably sitting down and very stable. I must say, you hear a lot from a voice. Her power, her voice is still very powerful. It wasn't shaky or anything, you know what I mean? Anyway, uh, moving on, the Supreme Court is also hearing oral arguments today on a Texas law that bars most abortions after six weeks. Last month, the court allowed the law to remain in place, but said that today's arguments would focus specifically on the unusual way that the Texas legislator made the law. It also said it will review whether the Justice Department can challenge the law in court. The Texas law is a major contrast to Roe v. Wade, the, 20, uh, the 1973 landmark decision legalizing abortion nationwide prior to viability which can occur at around 24 weeks of pregnancy and we're gonna be talking more about that in 15 minutes on the show uh but that was what's trending this hour what's happening in entertainment news ryan oh i mean we have some time to celebrate right now because cal penn in his new book you can't be serious actor cal penn announced that he is engaged to his partner of 11 years and his name is Josh. Wow. Yep, that's time for your tea report those pop culture stories trending right now. Um, he said this, I'm really excited to share our partnership with readers, but Josh, my partner, my parents, my brother, four people who I'm closest to in the family are fairly quiet. They don't love attention and shy away from the limelight. Um, his memoir details not only his life about his relationship with Josh, as well as intimate moments such as their first date, which is a really cute little hmm. moment. Um, But in discussing his sexuality, Penn also said that he discovered that part of himself later in his life compared to those around him. He said this, quote, there's no timeline on this stuff. People just figure their blank out at different times in their lives. So I'm glad I did when I did. Um, And of course, he told people he wanted the book to feel like he and the reader are, quote, having a beer together, which honestly... I was not expecting this tea. It was so beautiful. You could never have told me that Cal Penn has, is coming out and has a partner that he's engaged right? to. Who knew that was going to be on my 2021 bingo card? Who knew? Right. I, I, it wasn't planned. But either way, we're very, very excited for him. And um, yeah, he's just, he's really smart. He's just really talented and happy that he can fully be himself. Definitely. He's come a long way. That's beautiful. That's your tea report. I got more coming up next hour as well. Um, as letting you know about our Diva in the Desert drag show happening in Bob Springs. Yes, love it. Well, uh, next up on the show, more on the Texas abortion ban and what the future could hold for the state and the rest of the country. That's next. 
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The Supreme Court is hearing oral arguments today on the Texas abortion law that bars abortions after six weeks of pregnancy. And joining us right now is Josh Gerstein, Politico senior legal affairs reporter. Thanks for joining us for this. Hey, good to be with you. Yeah, I mean, this is very historic and has very huge implications. Now, Justices Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett actually surprised abortion rights advocates today. How so? Well, uh, both of them seem concerned about some of the implications of this Texas law. People may remember this law is designed to be enforced by uh, private individuals. Usually these kinds of laws are enforced by the state, by prosecutors, district attorneys, or or some kind of state prosecutor. But the Texas law is enforced by people, uh, anyone really can file a lawsuit uh, over an abortion, whether they know anybody involved or not. And uh, that seemed to trouble both Kavanaugh and Barrett, in part because it seemed like the kind of approach that could be used in other states to undermine other laws, uh, First Amendment rights, and then uh, Kavanaugh in particular mentioned that a state that, you know, where the government opposes, say, uh, gun rights or favors gun control uh, could pass a law saying someone could get a million dollars pursuing, say, every time an AR-15 assault weapon is sold. Wow. And and I think there's other kind of loopholes, for a lack of better words, in SBA that the law could also evade judicial review. I, What does that necessarily mean? Can you break that down? So that basically means that usually when a law is passed, if there's a threat of prosecution uh, by the government, uh, you can go to federal court and say that there's a, a looming effort to infringe your rights and get an injunction against the prosecutors or the state government uh, that would block them from enforcing an unconstitutional law. But what Texas is saying here is because we're not doing the enforcing. It's private parties, private individuals do, that do the enforcement by filing a suit in state court. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing we can do to stop people from doing this. Uh, Now, in the end, it might be that the law is found unconstitutional at the end of the day. Uh, But the end of the day might take three months, six months, a year, a year and a half uh, before there was a definitive ruling on the law. And under the other scenario where the state's enforcing it, you probably could get a decision within a matter of a few months. So this law, even if it's unconstitutional, might be on the books for a year and a half. Wow. wow. And then while that's happening, it's still in effect, right? Right. Well, here, a federal judge uh, in response to a lawsuit that the Biden administration filed uh, did issue an injunction blocking enforcement of the law. But an appeals court overturned that injunction. And exactly. that's what uh, they're asking the Supreme Court to essentially reinstate. OK, so let's say the court does rule against Texas. Is there any actual guarantee that the decision would actually help abortion providers in Texas? Uh, well, it, it probably would relieve their concern about being sued under this law for some period of time until there's a final resolution of its merits. Right now, they can face a lawsuit and somebody that brings that suit can get a minimum of ten thousand dollars. Uh, for basically proving that somebody assisted in an illegal uh, abortion. And so if the Supreme Court did step in and provide uh, some kind of relief here, uh, it it would at least lift that fear until there's some ruling on whether this law, in fact, does go too far. 
Yeah, and it seems like uh, Texas Solicitor General Judge Stone suggests that Texas courts might narrow the statute so that only plaintiffs personally impacted in some way by an abortion could be successful in pursuing a suit. Does this mean kind of from these arguments they might just alter it a bit so it becomes constitutional if they deem it unconstitutional? It would be be Texas's courts that would have to do that. I don't think he was talking about the legislature actually changing the law, but that's another weird aspect of this law. The private individuals who sue um, may have no connection whatsoever. Like I said, they might not know the person. They might not know the doctor involved. Uh, I've even seen a suit that was filed by someone in Arkansas who's not even in uh, Texas. And so it's very unusual. States do give people the right to sue sometimes, but usually you get that right because you're injured in some way. And this seems to depart from that. And Stone seemed to be suggesting, well, maybe the Texas courts, if we let this roll forward, will decide what we're going to limit this to people that have some direct involvement in the situation. But he didn't really elaborate on that. So how many votes do they need for this actually to pass since it seems like the court is kind of divided? Yeah, the court is divided. They need five votes, a majority, to grant um, some kind of injunctive relief. People may remember uh, that the law was allowed to go into effect when the court split five to four. Chief Justice John Roberts joined with the court's three liberals uh, saying they favored blocking the law, but they didn't couldn't muster a fifth vote here to actually block it. And now it sounds like Kavanaugh uh, or Barrett might possibly be willing at this point Uh, to vote to block the law, at least for the time being. Okay, so we shouldn't be as worried about Roe v. Wade being taken away? Well, you know, Roe v. Wade really didn't get discussed that much at these arguments. Uh, There's a whole other case out of Mississippi coming down the pike that the court's scheduled to take up a month from now, and that's really the one that is a direct challenge to Roe v. Wade. If people want to be worried about it, that's the one I'd be focused on. All right. Well, that was Josh Gerstein, Politico Senior Legal Affairs Reporter. Thank you again. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Next up, same-sex partners can now secure Social Security survivors' benefits. More on the historic development with Lambda Legal next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Social Security survivors' benefits will now be available to same-sex spouses and partners who had been denied access due to previous bans on gay marriage. This is a huge deal. Karen Lowy joins us right now, legal senior counsel and senior uh, senior strategist for Lambda Legal. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about this. Uh, yeah, because you all have been doing a lot of work on it this. Sounds like congratulations yes. on order. Thank you. Yeah, we filed these two cases um, over three years ago um, on behalf of surviving same-sex spouses and partners who could not meet the spousal requirements for survivor's benefits because of marriage bans. Um, And the final obstacles have been cleared to make sure that everybody can access the safety net we're all supposed to have access to as we age. Right. And I think with things like this and now that we've achieved this moment if people weren't you know getting benefits before do they get to get benefits now or like back benefits like how does that work now for people who are just like kind of listening about this news sure so for folks who previously applied for benefits and they were denied you know in order to challenge a denial of social security there are lots of layers of appeals and there are plenty of folks who thought oh what's the point i'm not going to keep filing appeals 
those people can go back to the agency and ask them to reopen those original denials. And those folks will be able to get benefits dating back to the original date. Um, that they applied for spousal survivor benefits. For folks who never applied, either because, frankly, they weren't old enough, they weren't eligible yet, or because they thought it, there was just no point that they weren't going to be recognized as spouses, those people can apply um, and get the benefits going forward. That is uh, so incredible, and it's about time. What about the the cases you're representing? I'm sure for those individuals, this is a, a huge moment as well. It is a huge moment. I mean, in truth, so, so Michael Ely um, was our client um, in Arizona, um, and he and his husband were able to marry um, before, really right after Arizona's ban on marriage for same-sex couples was struck down. But sadly, um, Michael's husband, whose nickname was Spider, um, they he died of cancer about six months later. So the rules for Social Security survivor benefits are that you have to have been married for at least nine months. Um, and they were not able to meet that because Arizona's law didn't let them. Helen Thornton, um, who is our other client, um, she fought the fight for folks whose loved ones died before marriage was even possible. Um, her partner of 27 years died in 2006 before same-sex couples were able to marry in Washington state. Um, and, you know, these two plaintiffs represent just thousands of people across the country who were continuing to um, feel the sting of discrimination that the marriage bans really embodied. Um, and we can't thank Michael and Helen enough for for fighting the fight and for sharing their stories over and over again um, to help all of the same-sex survivors who now have access to these necessary benefits. Definitely. And this, obviously, it was approved at the federal level. There won't be any pushback on the state level? Well, Social Security is a federal benefit. So it's something that's entirely controlled by the federal government. Um, you know, the Department of Justice had been defending the discrimination at the trial court level. Um, and today, the, the real victory is that um, the Department of Justice and the Social Security Administration have dismissed their appeals. They're no longer fighting it, and they have opened opened the door to all folks who are eligible for these benefits to be able to get them. So great. Well, again, so much good stuff to celebrate today, and we appreciate you for all your hard work in making this happen and being part of this. Well, thank you. It's an honor to represent these folks. And, and really, the message that I would share is if you think you are eligible, go ahead and apply. There is no obstacle to your doing so anymore. Beautiful. Well, that was Karen Lowy, legal, legal senior counsel and senior strategist for Lambda Legal. Thanks again. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Well, next up, a California nurse filmed herself being escorted from her job for refusing the vaccine. Did she deserve to get fired? We get into that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A California nurse filmed herself being escorted from her job at her hospital for refusing to get vaccinated against COVID because of religious beliefs. Here's a little. I asked all day for someone to explain to me why my sincerely held religious beliefs are not good enough for Kaiser. And no one was able to do that for me. Bye. So now they're escorting me out because I 
wanted an answer and I'm not leaving without an answer. And I have some nurses here who are standing with me in solidarity and I appreciate that. And I just want all of you to count the cost. I want you to watch this and think what really matters to me because I am willing to lose my safety and security, my house, everything for my freedom. And I want you to think about that. So that video has gotten millions of views. So I want her to what? think about why she went to uh-huh. n- to be a nurse or a, like right. spend all that time mm-hmm. doing the work that she's doing now. I need her to think about that because it seems like a lot of people forget about that. You study science. You study all of the body. You understand it. The reason why you probably got into the medical field is because of your love for saving lives. So the fact that religion for you trumps the idea of saving lives feels absolutely stupid. And honestly... Girl, I don't want you to be in the hospital. I don't want you to have any, because maybe you didn't learn everything that you needed to learn. Maybe you've been an awful practitioner this entire time, and maybe you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. Maybe you should think about that. Maybe this is not meant to be this job. I'm like, people doing stuff for Jesus, like Jesus is about to come down and thank him. (laughs) Thank you so much for not taking the vaccine. You know, I also find it interesting, the whole freedom thing, because not once in this did she actually say that she doesn't think the vaccine doesn't work. She just was like, freedom is more important, my ability to choose, than to support something that can help the process of us all getting better. Yeah. And that, I mean, but that's the whole reason when you watch these medical shows or you hear like nurses and first responders and, and doctors talk about the reason why they've gotten into the fields that they've gotten into. It's because they're all about saving lives. They want to change lives in meaningful ways that this yeah. allows you to do it literally to someone's body. So to have like an understanding of all of a sudden, like I don't get doctors or nurses who all of a sudden forget all the knowledge they've learned but instead have been like oh yeah i'm not go- i don't i don't want to do the vaccine i think the vaccine is is not a, it's not a part of my religion my religious beliefs come before that and it's just like what where did your knowledge of science go like were you abducted by aliens and this is a different person that i don't know about because honestly you should tell us because that's cool <laughs> do you <laughs> do you with Jeez. aliens well also and let's be real you're around so many immunocompromised folks. Yes. Do you think like if you had your uh, family member or your child there, you would want them to be taken care of by a nurse who is acting this way? And think about the slap in the face that this is for doctors and and just professionals, medical professionals who went through last year almost going through like mental health breakdowns because they were dealing with nothing but death. Yep. And I mean, hundreds of deaths at once. And so it, it just feels like a slap in the face to all of the work, all of the journey that they've been through mm-hmm. for you to now say that your religious beliefs trump that emphasis on Trump. And, right. Whenever we use that word now, it just has another meaning. Uh, well, in, speaking of which, uh, more than 3,500 U.S. healthcare workers had died from COVID. Ridiculous. As of March this year, yeah, with 32 percent of the deaths among nursing staff. So you're telling everyone to stay inside, to do this, like we're overwhelmed, and yet now we have a solution, and you're saying, well, I don't want to be part of that. So do you think it was wrong for her to get fired at LGT shows where you could slide into our DMs on social media and let us know what you think? We'd love to uh, bring up your responses here live on air on the show. Uh, But coming up next, 
The SNL star Kim Kardashian was holding hands with over the weekend. So what's actually going on here? That's next on What's Turning This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. Yes, we're back and more music coming up right here on Channel Q. But right now we have got more show for you. We're celebrating Trans Awareness Month this month in November. And in 30 minutes, we're bringing back one of our favorite stories, The Power of the Meaty Talk with Travel Anderson. So stick around for that. And coming up in the T-Report with Ryan, the SNL star that Kim Kardashian was caught holding hands with. So we're going to find out what exactly is the story with that in the T-Report in a moment. First, let's get into some what's trending this hour, though. Uh, Senator Joe Manchin said he won't support the $1.75 trillion social safety net expansion bill. Democrats are negotiating until there is, quote, greater clarity about the impact it will have on the country's national debt. I really hate that guy. Like, he's so annoying. Yeah. It's, like, really, really bad. And my thing mm-hmm. is, it's it's to the point where he's a little too comfortable that he doesn't think that he can he can be replaced. Him and Kirsten. They both don't think they can be replaced. But guess what? Kirsten, you can be replaced very easily. And also, uh, Manchin, you can be replaced as well if they find, you know, if the Victory Fund finds a really good Democrat mm. to take his spot. But he's the absolute worst. Yeah. he He's, like, the Scrooged. Of the Democrats, like if uh, well, Scrooge name? actually ended up cha- had a change of well, heart. Well, maybe there will be, maybe we'll have some sort of life uh, change, or something will happen, and it will make him realize that he should be nicer to people. Well, despite months of a lobbying campaign by the White House to win him over, including cutting the price tag in half, they're really doing a lot to get this guy's attention and making cuts to key programs. The West Virginia moderates' comments indicate that Democrats may never be able to win his support on this proposal. They might have to just move forward with that, just get over it. But then I guess that means that they can't pass what they want to. Hopefully something changes. But moving on to what's happening in New York City, more than 91% of New York City's 160,500 workers have been vaccinated as cities uh, as the city begins enforcing the mandate that was effective today, leaving 6% of the workforce on leave without pay, which is actually pretty impressive that only 6% of the workforce is on leave without pay. 91%. That's a pretty big number, more than California, I believe. Vaccination programs for children 5 to 11 will be fully operational November 8th. And finally, American Airlines passengers faced another day of trouble traveling after a weekend of mass flight cancellations. This actually impacted my housemate. The airline airline has canceled 411 flights, 14% of its schedule, and delayed more than 500 other flights as of 4 p.m. Eastern. So this is just uh, messed up. They blamed it on poor weather, which I just feel like you can't. At a certain point, you can't blame it on weather anymore. You got to blame it on the company. And um, so we'll see what continues to happen. We'll, we'll keep you updated on that. So beware if you're going to be making any flight plans with Americans soon. You know, you should start making your New Year's resolution. You know what it should be? What? To be comfortable to say roommate. <laughs> All right, it's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. And Kim K, wow. Why was she seen holding hands with Pete Davidson from SNL? Okay, here he goes. Let's talk about it. So they were at um, um, they were at Knott's Berry Scary Farm or whatever it's called. It is, um, it's a, it's a, a scary farm with no animals. But it's an amusement park. And they were there with Courtney and Travis. 
they were on a ride, and you know, I was on the ride to take those photos, yeah. and they were holding hands so that's on the what ride. Everyone was talking about a, just because of the literally. Ride? And a source claims that they are just friends. It's not that big of a deal. Um, but yeah, they were just on a ride, and of course, when you get scared and freak out, of course, you you grab onto the oh, person yeah. next to you. I like, did that to you literally when we went to Disney. Uh, which, I remember. I want to go to Disney again. We should do it. Well, I, we only went with because it was free. It was free. Yeah. Well, we should, yeah, whatever it if is. If they want to make it free, mm-hmm. we can go. Okay. Um, now, here's the thing. Kim is in the midst of divorcing Kanye West, of course, who was there with her when she hosted her, um, de- like, her big debut of Saturday Night Live earlier this month. Um, and last week, she even said that she still admires him very much. And speaking of Kanye West, he just had a, a Sunday service, and he invited Marilyn Manson. They were all, and Justin Bieber was there, and they were all in white, like some, like, weird Scientology cult. I don't know. Off the rockers, off the wheels, but Kim K and Pete are not dating. I was gonna just be like, giving it there. What is going on, Pete? He must have something special. If he keeps getting all these amazing women. Well, I'm going to tell you what they're going to be missing out on if they don't go to Palm Springs this weekend. Okay. Because uh, Channel Q and the Morongo Casino Resort and Spa are kicking off Palm Springs Pride weekend with our first annual Divas in the Desert drag show. Um, now, it's hosted by A.J. Gibson and Michaela Gordon from The Morning Show and starring drag diva Rosemary Galore and friends. Plus, if you are one of the uh, first 25 people to arrive, get there first because you get your first drink for free, which is nice. Mm. Um, join us this Wait, this Thursday. <laughs> Sorry, I was, you know, I can't read sometimes. Join us this uh, Thursday, November 4th from 8 to 11 p.m. in the drum room at the Morago Casino Resort and Spa and kick off Palm Springs Pride with Channel Q and the true queens of the desert. For more details, head over to WeAreChannelQ.com. It's going to be a fun time. You should go. It is, that's for sure. Okay, coming up, uh, Jessica Alba says she's going to therapy with her daughter. Uh, So would you be down to go to therapy with your parents? We're going to talk more about that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Jessica Alba has revealed that she wants to destigmatize therapy. And with that, Who does it nowadays? (laughs) That is the Everybody talking about it. But this is an interesting twist to that. I haven't really heard this from anyone that she is about. Uh, she is going to therapy with her 13-year-old daughter, Honor. That's her daughter's name. And so this brings up the question: Would you be down to go to therapy, including at 13, with your mom or your parents? Well, honestly, okay. So that's so interesting because I was thinking about that today. I was listening to a podcast where someone was talking about. How you know they they have a kid and they they want to have an open line of communication um, with their children. Mm-hmm. Like if their ch- child gets drunk at a party or something, they want the, their child to know that they can call them to come pick them up and and feel safe enough to do that yeah. while also still being able to parent them. Being like you're still grounded, you know, like having that that really pure and transparent kind of line of communication where no one feels judged. And I think that's beautiful of kind of starting that in therapy at such a young age, right? Mm -hmm. To hear her perspective. She gets the mom's, you know, her mom's perspective. And then hopefully also giving room to being like, well, I don't really feel comfortable saying this in front of you. Maybe one session we can, like, you know, if they're doing sessions together, but then then they also have their own separate sessions. Like, I think that's great. Like, but now... Um, at 28, who is someone in, in therapy, 
I it has been brought up about, you know, me and my mom doing therapy together and I just I don't want to right now. Like I okay. think it all ha- it happens at the right time in yeah. the right place. Um I I need, you know, my mom to do her own therapy first Mm -hmm. before we can bring things together because if she's just coming to a session with my therapist she's going to feel ganged up on right she's not going to feel like open and 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 vulnerable Mm -hmm. enough to like even express because she's like oh this woman already knows everything and she's judging me right yeah and so i think you a parent has to do their own personal work before the door can be open to have a a a a double date situation with your (laughs) double whammy yeah with your therapist yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point. I, I think that if you want to go to any sort of couples therapy or partner therapy, you both need to be doing the work yourselves and then coming together to continue the work together. Uh, yeah, I don't think it works of just saying, oh, we're going to do couples therapy and then wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, it's over, yeah. right? The work is over. Yeah. I think the best work happens together when, yeah, it's happening separately as well. I actually think this is a really interesting idea. I think in hearing from a lot of my friends who have teenagers right now, mm-hmm. uh, there's a, a rough time that happens. They're going through a lot of challenges. Well, yeah, we and, remember being yeah. what it means to be a teenager. Yeah. I actually was harder later in life, I think. Oh. I was actually a really good teen. Like my, my parents always described me as like a really easy kid. Um, and I there's a whole other story behind why I think that is. But I I do think that even now, there's so many moments where I now have compassion for my parents and I want to work through things with them. And I feel like it's not helpful when I just tell them that, like, we need a third party. Yeah. Like, they're not going to necessarily listen to me, but they might listen to someone else yeah. who they trust. I've even suggested telling my mom, being like, well, why don't you pick... I'm, I'm like, if she... If she and I... If you know someone, I understand. Like I mentioned, that she would feel kind of weird about coming into a, a therapy session that I already have like a, a relationship with. Yeah. I'm like, well, if you want to pick someone, I'm yeah, yeah, I'm like down for you to because you're to in go. a better place. You're more yeah, comfortable with right? it. I've re- worked you know through things. So interesting. I've been trying to get my mom to go to therapy recently too, and I know you listen to this podcast or <laughs> show, mom. Girl, I've been trying. Uh, and it was so crazy. Is my mom was in education. She's been to therapy with my sister. She's all about mental health. And yet, isn't it interesting for herself? It's a whole different it's a situation. Thing. That's, that's how it is with my mom as well. Yep. So, I mean, I, I I think that in the future, I think a coach or having like a family therapist that works with you on yeah, things could be sure. huge. I've recently gone through this and we're wrapping things up with like a team member of mine where typically I'd take it on myself. I'm going to do this. I could handle it. Yeah. Right. I, I have done the work. So I'm going to work through this with this person who I'm having a conflict with. We had an intermediary. And let me tell you, I am so happy I invested in that. It's a game changer. I will say, and we're wrapping up. I would only do a therapist, like a family therapist, when I have kids at that age of 13. Like, I don't want my child in therapy at the age of five. Like, because they're going to automatically feel like something's wrong with them, even though I know the therapist is going to do it. I want want them to have a therapy, uh, a therapist at that age because that's a very pivotal Depen- year. Yeah. That, like, Unless someone comes to up, teenagers, like, that's a pivotal I moment. went to a psychologist at six. Well, look at you now. <laughs> now, <And. laughs> we were going to cut to commercial, but I do want to tease what's coming up. Uh, the power of the tuck and why we shouldn't police trans bodies. Again, we're continuing our um, focus on uh, to the trans community during Trans Awareness Month next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, November is Trans Awareness Month, and we're going to be bringing you stories 
about the trans community, mm-hmm. from the trans community. Mm-hmm. We even have Char Giselle joining us in the studio. <laughs> yeah, she's going to be our nice third mic. Yes. It's going to be nice next week. We love that. So we wanted to bring you some of our amazing interviews we've done. And oh, just stories. Yeah, and stories over the past few months, including this interview we did with Travel Anderson about their journey with the Meaty Tuck. Mm, and it's meaty. So let's talk about a very interesting conversation that I think a lot of people often talk about when it comes to trans bodies, trans women, and films specifically. Mm-hmm. They always somehow end up talking about what's underneath their clothes. And it's just one of those things where it's so inappropriate. And I think we see this and we were reading about this from a, 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 a interesting perspective where award-winning journalist Travel Anderson, who's been on the show before, been on Channel Q. We yes. love them so much. They wrote about an offhand comment at a party about tucking that really inspired them to kind of integrate integrate how we police trans bodies. And so, Travel, I just want to say thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you all for having me again. Glad to be back. <laughs> Always. Always. You know we had to have you back here because I think what's interesting, and I would love to start off here, can you talk about kind of like the history of, of tucking and, and kind of start us off from that jumping point? Because I think a lot of people don't, even know really unless they're paying attention to what like drag race or something right right i think most people might know tucking in the context of drag in which these you know men you know hide remove do things to their bodies to their their genitals right in order to give that womanly image right but some trans people in particular trans women and femmes also tuck but for different reasons right yeah. for them and for us it's it's we do it because it's euphoria right it's a form of doing away with even if temporarily the dysphoria the bodily dysphoria that some of us experience um, particularly those of us who have been assigned male at birth um, and so it has kind of very personal reasons why trans women and femmes do it and then you have some members of the community who don't do it right but in our in our society you know walking around in a dress with you know a little print is not necessarily you know, acceptable. And so what I was trying to do in the piece is challenge us to have conversations within ourselves about why we are made uncomfortable by femme presenting bodies that have bulges in their crotch and what we and how that actually is connected to a anti-black history of the ways in which we police black bodies of the ways in which we police women's bodies and hopefully get people to a point where we all just mind our business (laughs) and let people live life in the ways that that you know they want to yes i mean you said it I, i was i loved your piece i was laughing and then also just like it was so thoughtful and Why now for something like this? Because I think this is a conversation that's been coming up a lot in the media and by personalities and journalists like yourself. Definitely. I mean, I think there's been a lot of conversation literally over the last few weeks around tucking to be specific. Um, Chromat, which is a... um, a, uh, bathing suit. Uh, I forget the, the... the fashion word for it, but they do a lot of bathing suits. They had a New York fashion, their New York Fashion Week show, and their entire line this year, co-produced by Tourmaline, they say was for, for the girls who don't tuck, right? So you have that conversation there in kind of a fashion aspect. And then the Condé Nast publication, Them, did a whole series of stories a few weeks ago about, you know, trans women who don't tuck when they go to the beach 
right? And the, the particular euphoria that those folks experience. And so I think we're at a moment where trans women, trans femmes are interested in truly like just challenging some of the conceptions that we all have about bodies, about what is beautiful, about the ways we are supposed to show up in the world and move through different space. Um, and so I think it is interesting that it's all happening at, at this particular moment. I think the goal, right, is that those of us who are trans women and femmes aren't the only ones having this conversation, yeah. right? And that cis-identified folks, you know, are, are kind of interrogating, like Ryan said, their own biases, their own perceptions, and their reasons why, you know, y'all like to gawk at trans mm. people's bodies. Well, and I think something you brought up earlier about kind of the anti-blackness and how race plays into this, I think there's mm-hmm. also a connection of like sexualizing black bodies that we see often in uh, in the media in every form. And I wondered, is that something that you also see when it comes to the uncomfortableness of seeing, uh, you know, a femme or trans person walking around untucked? Very much so. And it, and it connects to so many other folks who are also aren't trans, right? right? So you talk about the ways in which black bodies have been policed historically. We can go all the way back to the hot and cotton Venus, right? The ways in which black women who had bigger butts than white folks were put on display mm-hmm. historically. But also think about the ways in which people frown at the ways, you know, women who are breastfeeding in public, right? Or, you know, all of the conversation that we talk about, free the nipple on Instagram, right? because Instagram bans femme-presenting, female-presenting nipples, but they don't do it for men's, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all of these things that, that we as a society have put stock in, in terms of like these body parts that are deemed sexual when they're not necessarily always sexual, right? And I think that is that gets at the core of where the issue is when we have this conversation. People are thinking of penises and breasts and butts in a very sexual manner, as opposed to something that like we all have yeah. and that can actually be desexualized. Yeah, and when we get back, I really kind of want to, like, I wonder how we should start to examine or re-examine beauty and what mm-hmm. that really looks like. And so I would love to have that conversation when we get back. Okay, cool. You Let's do it. All right, perfect. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're back with Travail Anderson, award-winning journalist, and of course, the co-host of the Fanti Podcast, which you all need to be listening to. And Travail is joining us for a necessary conversation about policing trans bodies when it comes to tucking and really having the necessary conversation of why we do that as a society. Um, So thank you so much for joining us again. So I think what's really interesting for me that comes up for me is a beauty, right? Um, and how we what what society deems beautiful and what they don't, you know, deem beautiful. And I wonder how we should start kind of reexamining that, especially when it comes to queer bodies in general. Very much so. I mean, I think so much about queer life is about pushing up against some of those standards of beauty that just don't fit or or hold many of us in the community. But we also know the ways in which we all kind of internalize the things that we've long been taught about, you know, everybody got to have a six pack and everybody, you know, the breasts need to be perky, but we nobody wants hanging breasts down to their knees. All of these different things, right, that, you know, many of our bodies do that stuff naturally, right? 
Brats aren't always just up perky, okay? <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> oh, I know these things. So we need to get to a place where the natural ways that our bodies are are able to be regarded as fabulous and beautiful and wonderful and desirable as well. And then obviously also making space for the people who want to do things to their body to change them. We want to make space for those people. But for those of us who are not interested in those particular interventions, we should be able to be seen as beautiful as well. Yes, to all of that. Uh, How do we normalize these conversations more? Because obviously we're having them at Channel Q, but I know so many people that aren't having them. And yeah, yeah, I think I think part of it is one continue to have these types of conversations over the airwaves, right? Having a conversation about tucking when somebody is just listening, trying to get that good music, right? Mm-hmm. They not paying attention. They don't worry about tucking. That's a way to start normalizing it. But I think as individuals, we have to begin to not only check ourselves, but check the people who are in our communities, right? So when your friend makes a comment about somebody's body that is rooted in fat phobia, that is rooted in anti-blackness, that is rooted in all these isms and obias, right? It is incumbent upon us to check them, to tell them that that type of behavior, that type of positioning is not the way, is not the world, right, that we all want to live in. Mm. I think it's in those very specific ways is how we begin to change yeah. the culture and change society at large. You know, and I'm I'm not trans, I'm not non-binary or femme, but I know I have so many friends and community, including you, who are in that community, and I wonder how do we have these conversations while not creating uh, uncomfortableness for people who don't see this as freeing, who don't see untucking mm-hmm. as a moment of like they can feel comfortable in their body like they actually need that euphoric feeling to feel who they truly you know who they are well that's the thing to keep in mind right whatever a person wants to do to their body or not do to their body they should have the space to do so right. and i think for me it's not about saying that trans women and femmes should not tuck right or should not you know Uh, engage with these medical interventions that that allow us to live in the bodies that we believe and feel and innately know that we were supposed to have, right? It's about making sure that literally every single person has the ability to exist as they feel works best Mm -hmm. for them and ensuring that every single type of body can be seen as beautiful, can be seen as desirable, and that we aren't, you know, um, pushing people further to the margins just because they don't subscribe to our understanding of what is beautiful. Yeah, and I love how you ended your piece. You said this, quote, but until the world becomes a reality, if you see a trans woman or femme with a bulge, especially me, mind the business that pays you. And I want to say thank you so much for joining us. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. You're amazing. Oh, you're You're so fabulous self. Love that. (laughs) Thank y'all. And that was the one and only Travail Anderson. And stick around for the rest of this month because we are covering all things trans stories for Trans Awareness Month. So we got more. Let's go there. Coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, lots coming up on the show right now. Will Smith opens up about his mental health. That's in the tear report in a moment. Plus, it sure is. Yeah, it's a pretty intense moment that he's sharing and very vulnerable. Uh, plus, Mills College has become a safe haven for the LGBTQ community, but its existence is being threatened. We're going to talk more about what's actually happening and the history behind it in 15 minutes. First, let's get into some what's trending this hour. 
Two transgender Netflix employees who were disciplined after speaking out about comedian Dave Chappelle's most recent special have actually moved forward and filed complaints with the National Labor Relations Board. It comes from Tara Field, an engineer who was suspended and eventually reinstated. And B. Piggles Minor, who we actually interviewed on the show. Check out their interview. It's on WeAreChannelQ.com. Definitely recommend that. They were a product manager who was fired as well, but not reinstated. And Netflix says its actions against the employees didn't arise from their criticism of Chappelle's transphobic and homophobic humor and special. Instead, they say that Field was suspended for trying to attend a meeting that she hadn't been invited to. And Pagel's minor was terminated for leaking internal data to the press. The workers, though, are disputing this. So it'll be interesting to see what they happens. They gotta have some actual like receipts when it comes to that because it, it feels like yeah. they think that you know, B. Pagel, which we actually did a great, we had a great conversation with them. And so I'm just saying, yeah, you know, you should just continue to listen to it. Exactly. Yeah, I do want to see receipts. Exactly. And and to know what actually happened. And by the way, it's not surprising to have a quote unquote whistleblower if your company is doing questionable stuff. Right. I get a suspension, but to fire them. Right. For something like that, when it involves not being heard, I think there is an opening for discussion there. Now, moving on, according to a new NBC News poll, there's been a significant decline over the past year in voters who think their vote will be counted accurately. A trend, of course, driven mainly by Republicans. Most still believe false claims that President Joe Biden didn't legitimately win the 2020 election. Now, two-thirds of all registered voters, 66%, say they are confident their vote will be counted accurately. That's down from 85% in October 2020. 29% say they are not confident that their vote will be counted accurately in the future compared to 11% the same uh, who said the same a year ago. Wow. We are having some issues here in America. Well, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? <laughs> okay, so Will Smith recently admitted that he had contemplated suicide during the taping of his new YouTube series about physical uh, fitness and weight loss. Mm. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Trigger warning for anyone. We're about to talk about suicide. Um, the trailer for his new show, Best Shape of My Life, is out now, in which he sets out to lose 20 pounds in 20 weeks. Um, basically, he's seen in the trailer for the series writing his memoirs, exercising, and sitting around a table with his children, Trey, Willow, and Jaden. And uh, here is a little bit of the trailer. thought I was getting into the best shape of my life physically, but mentally, I was somewhere else. I'm done. And I ended up discovering a whole lot of hidden things about myself. Will is about to embark on two extraordinarily difficult journeys. I'm writing my book and it's like exposing my life and so many things that people don't know about me. That was the only time in my life that I ever considered suicide. Oh. I know, right? Um, it's it's really interesting because I thought this was really just going to be around his fitness and stuff. But he's actually, yeah, he's writing this new memoir and he's being vulnerable and he's saying that he's learned a lot of things about himself. And so it's going to be really interesting how everyone responds to this show and the clips that come out of it. I think the um, the Smith family has really become a family about vulnerability and oh, transparency. Yes. And, and that's all we're getting from them. I love it. It's so important. Um, also from someone like him who people look at his life and 
everything and they see like oh how could a guy like this he like seems very positive and all that so for him to talk openly about that as a black man I think it's really important he's doing great stuff oh you think this is impacting the black community I think both but I think for the black community I mean do you let me let me go ask all the blacks I know (laughs) You don't think as a black... Right, right. I know what you're now, saying. Do do white people have that same thing? What? Someone that is like, for them, like, oh my God, for the white community, they are just so great. They're they're impacting the white community in the same way that you're describing Will Smith for black folks. Yeah. Is there someone for white people? Like, do white people have that type of thing? Or is it if only there's for someone, other marginalized wait, communities? So, that no, actually, that? you're making a good point. For one, because I think therapy and mental health has always been like, looked at as like a privileged thing that's like yeah but not one person is only going to be able to have an impact on like a marginalized community because one community is not monolithic of course so I'm like I always think about that when things like that come up when people are like oh my god President Obama should say something Uh or Will Smith or these leader quote unquote leaders in in these communities are like they're deemed leaders it's like who deems them that and do like white people have those same leaders I think when a right so what, or, I know just we have quickly, to go, but, but when a just... broy guy, actually, when a very broy manly man <laughs> does openly talk about, means. I'm trying to think of who. Like, <laughs> well, The Rock isn't uh, is like if The Rock talked about it, but he's The Rock like, ain't white. POC. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to think of someone else. <laughs> the Rock is the first person that came up. Okay, we're gonna talk. Actually, this is a good conversation to have. But we actually later on have in the to, show, yes, we're gonna ask. And later on this hour, we are gonna talk about this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. What it means to come out about mental health, depending on what community you're in, and what it means. And doesn't mean anything. Um, And what the public deems uh, like that as the significance of it. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Mills College in Oakland has been around since 1852, and they've made many firsts over the years, including being a safe haven for the LGBTQ community. But that is being threatened now, and we really wanted to tell the history behind the college and how we can all come together to support 
what's happening right now. And joining us are two people who have been behind Saving the College, uh, Darcy Todden and Lila Gehring, who are now currently working with the Alumni Association and a group called All for Mills. Thank you both for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having us. Um, Hi, yes, thank you. Yeah, we appreciate it. We sure do. uh, We wanted to get into just some context uh, around the history of Mills College and why it's such an important place. Yeah, why should people care? Well, (laughs) uh, so Mills is uh, 169 years old. It has a very long history, but why people should care is... uh, uh, something that we feel very strongly about and is fairly specific uh, to more modern considerations, uh, specifically that Mills College has a student body that is almost 60% LGBTQ, and we are about to lose that. I have no idea if it's the only one in the country with those numbers, but we are uh, fairly certain it's the only one in the state. Wow. And so how did we get to this moment where we're, you know, we're about to lose all of this rich history? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, that is actually part of what we have been fighting for and about. Uh, it, it Mills has struggled uh, with some financial issues over the years. Uh, as you may know, there was a, a fairly famous strike in the 90s when the Board of Trustees tried to take us co-ed. Uh, the students fought back against that and won. The Board of Trustees changed their minds. But uh, even then, they were fairly convinced uh, that a, a woman's college couldn't be profitable. And unfortunately, I think we've seen an evolution of that attitude to one that seems to think that a primarily LGBTQ college can't be profitable. Mm. We disagree. Um but our, our board of trustees and our current uh, college president are, are convinced <laughs> that Mills uh, must merge in order to survive. So the more recent history that we've seen was uh, our current president came in uh, at a time when enrollment had been falling for about two years. Uh, when she came in, it did not stop falling. It uh, picked up speed as far as we have seen. Uh, she led a financial stabilization plan that was problematic for a variety of reasons. Lila can talk about that more in a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Starting in 2019, she was giving talks about rethinking women's colleges and the need to partner them. Uh, and, you know, as, as late as 2020, the Alumni Association was, was making requests and asking, you know, what could we do to help? Was, were fundraisers needed? Uh, and being told no. And then March 4th of 2021, there was a board of trustees meeting with a consent agenda item to approve the development of a teach out plan for further consideration. And on March 17th, uh, President Hillman announced that the college was closing. Oh, wow. Really unfortunate. Yeah. And Lila, Mm -hmm. you wrote uh, this really powerful piece in the SF Chronicle. We want to talk more about that. Uh, oh, actually, let's actually talk about it. Yeah, right now. I'm going to take a break, but we're going to talk about it right now. Uh, why did you decide to speak out about this and share your story? Um, I decided to speak out because um, a letter surfaced from the class of 1970 and 71, basically saying that Mills's queerness was a marketing concern, um, one that could be solved by this current plan to merge with Northeastern University. And, you know, it really became clear that that population is not something that the college has valued or even tried to, um, you know, market. Um, 
So, you know, our concern really is that this is the mindset that has led us to this moment, um, this devaluation of what Mills has become. And, um, you know, we just really want to bring attention to that. And, you know, because like Darcy said, we don't agree. Um, we agree that this is Mills's most strong element um, is its queerness. And, you know, if we had tried harder to market it as a majority queer school, which we desperately still need, yeah. we might not be where we are today. No, for sure. And um, honestly, when you used to t- say it's the it's the queerest school ever, I'm like, well, hell, why didn't I know that? I would have went. But, <laughs> you know, exactly. and I think about... Obviously, we just came out of the pandemic, and I wonder, has that been also a part of their reasoning and how the pandemic has affected just schools across the country, especially this school? Are they using that kind of as, not of as an excuse, but has that been bought into the conversation? You know, the, college said that, the college has said that, but the, uh, you know, the public 990s seem to indicate differently. Mm. So, so yeah. we, we disagree that it was the pandemic issue. And, mm. and one thing, just real fast, I want to make really clear Please. that this assumption that uh, being a majority queer college is a marketing problem. We, you know, we could debate that all day long. But sure what can. it certainly isn't is a financial problem. In 2019, mm-hmm. globally, uh, LGBTQ adults had, I, I think it was like an estimated buying power of something like $3.7 trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. So we are not a liability. We are an asset and we are an asset that the college has failed to recognize or tap into. I mean, you said it. That is very true. So as uh, we we actually want to continue the conversation to figure out how people can get involved with this fight and what is happening next. So stick around for more of how we can save Mills College after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back. We're talking about Mills College in Oakland. That's really been uh, an LGBTQ refuge in America that's on the verge of being closed down. And joining us are two people behind the fight, Darcy Totten and Lila Gehring. Thanks again for joining us for this. Thank you. Thanks again. Uh, So you are trying to take this all the way to the attorney general. Tell us more about that right now. Yeah, um, I can talk about that a little bit. Um, and who's speaking? So, like, um, this is Lila. Okay, Hi. perfect time. Um, so, yeah, like Darcy said, we really don't have hard evidence at this point that Mills is in a financial situation where it needs to shut down or merge, as has been claimed since March 17th. Um, you know, and that transparency is something we've been asking for since the very beginning. Um, But, you know, we're at the point now where we're asking um, the attorney general to investigate and just really make sure that this um, disclosure and this merge is necessary because what's at stake of being lost is just so huge. um, And we really don't need to lose that if we don't have to. Yeah. And and Darcy, I can't help but think of like the implications, especially when it comes to just like queer safe spaces and this could really, as this story grows, could really just have, you know, further implications to other queer spaces around campuses everywhere across the country. Has that come up for you in in the thought process of this and and the importance of why you all are just like fighting to make sure this doesn't happen? Absolutely. I, you know, I, I graduated in 2003 and I can honestly say that attending Mills probably saved my life at the time. I did not come from a super supportive home uh, you know, I didn't expect to live to be 30. I'm more than a decade past that now. Very grateful for, you know, my time at Mills, which showed me that I could be or do 
things that didn't involve just trying to survive. And we have seen that sort of bubble, that safe space, that incubator uh, for folks continue at Mills and grow. And we were horrified when this, you know, a class of 1971 letter came out, essentially saying that that was, you know, the cause of Mills's financial problems, that it was causing a stigma and that they were thrilled that a merger with Northeastern would, I can't even remember the exact quote, but basically that it would sort of disperse those numbers back to where they thought it was appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was horrible. Yeah. I mean, um, this is all just horribly tragic. And hopefully the work that you all are doing, and obviously, you know, all of us trying to spread the word will create a change. How can people get involved and try to support what's happening right now and it, it not being taken over? So there are a number of websites. All for Mills has one, as does Save Mills. Uh, and I'll get you those so you can uh, sort of post those as well. Um, and we are in the process of putting together a letter that we are going to be sending to the Attorney General uh, asking him to take a closer look at this very specific issue and at what California as a whole stands to lose if we lose Mills College. What are some of the students saying that are experiencing um, well, this? I, I just thought about that, you know. Yeah, I mean, I can say this is Lila. Um, I just graduated in May, actually. So I've been a student in the last four years. And I can tell you that this, you know, feeling of a lack of transparency is not new. Um, as Darcy mentioned, we under we went under the um, financial stabilization plan in 2017, which lo- led to a loss of many beloved tenured professors. Um, We underwent a tuition reset, you know, promising to lower tuition, but actually kind of raised the cost um, for a lot of people, including myself. Um, So just with that being said, like there is this feeling that, you know, Mills kind of, you know, is a safe place, but, you know, the students don't feel supported by the leadership, Mm. um, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So definitely people are feeling that and people are feeling like, you know, they just receive message after message of drastic announcements and haven't been communicated with properly. Is there another big uh, school or company that the the students or whoever, uh, you know, you all fighting for this would feel more comfortable supporting and helping the, the school stay alive? Well, I, I think at this point, uh, you know, we're open to all creative solutions, yeah. but a partnership is not the same as a merger. And what's being discussed with Northeastern mm-hmm. is a full merger. Mills will disappear. It will be subsumed into Northeastern and become Mills at Northeastern. So what we're looking for are creative solutions that would allow Mills College to keep its admissions policy, which is what has built this bubble. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's crucial to understand it's not just that it's 58% LGBTQ. It is majority student of color. It is 45% first gen college students. It is almost 17% non traditional students uh, in terms of age, people who are coming back after being in the workforce, parents. Uh, and it was recently recognized as a Hispanic serving institution. So Mills is this very unique, uh, very diverse bubble that is churning out exactly the kind of leaders that California needs. And we are about to lose that. Yeah. 
Well, thank you for joining us and sharing all of this. It's so important, the story, and I, I really hope that either people already knew about this or at least learned something today about it. I mean, I'll be honest. This is the first time I'm hearing yeah. about it, and after this conversation, I'm, I'm so inspired to do whatever we can to help, you know? Well, we appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, that was Mills College alumni Darcy Totten, who's the founder and CEO of Activism Articulated, and Lila Gehring, uh, a, also a writer and recent graduate. Thank you so much for your time, and we really appreciate it. Send us all the links to uh, promote on Channel Q, and we will be there. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. We will do that. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We'll be back with more of Let's Go There right after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. So earlier in the show, we were talking about how Will Smith has recently opened up about his mental health. Here's a little clip of that. Thought I was getting into the best shape of my life physically, but mentally I was somewhere else. I'm done. And I ended up discovering a whole lot of hidden things about myself. Will is about to embark on two extraordinarily difficult journeys. I'm writing my book and it's like exposing my life and so many things that people don't know about me. That was the only time in my life that I ever considered suicide. Right. And then that brought up this whole thing where um, I think that marginalized minority groups could become like if one person speaks out about one thing, it's like, oh, they're the hero and like of their entire community or something like that. Or does the community even like think of them as that? And typically it's brought up by uh, the media and a lot of white people, right? And when it comes to other communities. Yeah. Uh, and so we wanted to kind of, I guess, get into what that means or how to better express that. I don't even know if there's um I well I can't I can't give a, a solution here. I think I can only just talk about how it's annoying to me sometimes that conversation. Yeah. Um because we've had it before and we talked about other things whether it's it's about, you know, science and the vaccine and and you hear, you know, especially I think the Trump administration was trying to do it for a while and the the um the you know, the U.S. Surgeon G General, is that what his t kind of title is? Where he's like the main person that was kind of over everything. And there was a moment where he, he said you know, make sure you tell your mamas, your papas, and then they, and then you they proceed to go get, you know, someone like T.I. or Ice, Ice T. or, um, or no, Ice, Ice Cube. A, Ice, one of them is They get to Ice Cube <laughs> and they go find these, like, quote unquote, who they think are leaders in the black community yeah. and they think that they are supposed to be the spokesperson to said get everyone on board of <laughs> yeah. getting either vaccinated or get set on board of either in this moment talking about mental health. And I think that is often... Uh, for me, as a younger generation, um, I've seen that conversation just be annoying. I think mm, a lot of times yeah. you just see, uh, unfortunately, you hear white people just kind of be like, well, you know, get President Obama to speak up. Get, you know, Kamala Harris to say something. They, they're they in po positions of power. They must hold some weight, right? And I think that's a valid thing to say. I think, yes, there are leaders that have power enough to sway. Like if you're talking about an Elon Musk, Elon Musk can tweet out about a company or a stock or an NFT and it, you know, sells in seconds yeah. or it, it exceeds things, right? There is power in celebrity in that moment. There's power in, there is. in power. But I think oftentimes when you, you're hearing it from um, non-people of color or, you know, and they're suggesting a, a black person that they consider a leader to be kind of the spokesperson or a person to get people to change their mind, I always sit back and think, well, what is, who is that for white people? 
And why don't I ever hear that in that same uh, in that same lane or yeah. in that same comparison, right? I think we words mean things. We have to be mindful. we have to be mindful of being like, well, you saying that inherently is saying that this one community are all communities of color are just one way and it takes one person to to say one thing and it's going to change the masses. And that's just not how it is because no community is a monolith. If you're totally. a queer person, if you're, I mean, we've seen in all communities that there are still people who are anti-vax. There's not going to be any amount of information that's going to give make them, you know, change their mind. And yes, that is blamed on, you know, the relationship when it comes to people of color and black folks and when it comes to medical stuff, right? Of course, that's valid. But there's not just one person that can just change your mind like that. Ain't yeah. nobody Jesus. <laughs> and we can really debate if Jesus was black. Hey. Well, <laughs> no, I mean, you bring up a good point. I think it, it could be problematic and dangerous to be like, yeah, let's like use someone as an umbrella for everything in that community. There's well, no one that represents everything in any Well, community. can I ask you really quickly? Yeah. Well, I guess for you, why have you in the past said it? Like, well, like I guess, that? Well, yeah, I see it, it so, because, so here's the thing. Is it because thing. of the media aspect of it all and that just being, you know, kind of you're being fed that you idea? Know, I think that in any, like, as a woman, if uh, another woman comes out to talk about something that's that typically isn't talked about, whether it be like, you know, I think that a lot of people talk about postpartum and all that, like, for someone, for that person who happens to be a woman to talk about these things that women right. don't typically talk about that is a big deal they're leading the way they're maybe not representative of everyone but they're creating an opening for a healing and vulnerable conversation so i think when i see someone who is part of a community that we and we've talked about this so i only say this out of also just having had conversations not because it's my lived experience that mental health and these things aren't typically talked about or they haven't been as accessible, which mm -hmm, we know in mm -hmm. these in uh, black and P other POC communities, that someone who is a very known person, and it might not be in that community, but overall talking about it, sends a message. It's not going to maybe, is, does it change the world or the needle that much? Not necessarily, but it is a little bit of an opening. Yeah. I do think, and I do think that matters. And I agree with you and on I, that. And I think that matters. Like, I do think if someone like we brought up Elon Musk did talk about mental health and suicide as an entrepreneur, that would be huge. No, I agree with that. For a lot of other people, men specifically, let's his fanboys that look up to him and say, wow. When you're saying men, you mean cis heterosexual. Cis hetero men. That's yeah. my assumption, by the way, that a lot of like. Well, don't my, assume that. Don't assume anyone's gender. No, but so. my assumption that... We, that's, that's his us, audience. That's his assumption, yes. Yeah. Um, well, that, when it comes to tech... Yes. It, I mean, there's actual data points yes. that prove that people like who are cishet and white <laughs> thrive in the tech space. Like, there's data for that. Exactly. And so that would be a big deal for someone like him to talk about yeah. that, right? And so I do think at any figurehead of any community, whether you're a majority, minority, marginal, whatever. But what makes you know, them a figurehead? I've always wondered I think wondered a figurehead, that. I do think that when you're someone who is popular, famous, an influencer, trendsetter, blah, 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 you have an ability. Doesn't mean you have the responsibility. Mm -hmm. You have an ability yeah. to open up a conversation that hasn't been had before. And I agree. Here's the thing. I agree with that to a certain extent. But I think oftentimes what is missing out of that and that, that idea is nuance. Oh, There's yeah. so much nuance for everything. And I think for me, that's why sometimes that doesn't connect for me when we're dealing with who's a figurehead. Because oftentimes, the people who think 
that, you know, certain people in marginalized communities are figureheads will come out and say problematic things down the line, which oftentimes that can mirror it. But then I'm wondering, well, guess what? You've deemed them a leader in this space. Mm -hmm. Who are you going to deem a leader who is pushing past that narrative and pushing you know, progressive thoughts and and moving forward instead of this kind of dated traditional thinking. So from what I'm hearing, I actually do have a bit of an answer to that or what I think. I do think someone could start up and inspire a conversation. And then it's about looking at the people who have been either in the trenches of those conversations that we've been overlooking. Right. Or then it opens it up for other people to come in and take, like, run with it. Uh, Well, if it gives those people, if there's... I think those people have to get the same amount of attention and respect as you're and giving the others. And, and sometimes that does not happen. And then that's the responsibility. This is layered. Yeah. And then it's the responsibility of the media then to take to take that. And then also those who are interested in those topics yeah. to put a spotlight. So say something, Will Smith, we're wrapping it up because we're running late. <laughs> um, and like Jada, who've been like, we want to be vulnerable. We want to be a family known as this. With their platform, they want to be the quote unquote leaders in that. Yeah. They have also a responsibility to bring on other voices. I think to talk about these things. To put a period on this, I think you should think about who are we deeming as figureheads? Mm -hmm. And do they deserve that power? Do they actually represent this community from all generational perspectives? And that's that. Let us know at LGT Show, and uh, we'll keep this show rolling. Speaking of which, uh, after this, how Elon Musk plans to end world hunger. Oh, God. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz Queen of the day. Yes, Queen. So this one goes to Vanessa Sefa, who's a UK-based English educator and has been teaching for around three years. She recently posted a heartwarming and eye-opening post on Twitter that has really resonated with a lot of people. She tweeted this. A black girl came to me during break crying with her natural hair shrunk by the rain. She continues in under 15 minutes and with the wrong tools, I got the girl out with two rushed cornrows. Being black in that age, hair can mean so much. This is one of the many reasons we need more hashtag black teachers. Uh, so she didn't capture a before and after of the students. And so people are just praising her uh, for sharing this and for sharing something that is you know, really needed because we need more teachers of, I think, all different experiences um, to be there for different students, depending on what their background is. Yeah, there's never going to be, I don't think there's going to be enough conversations that we can continue to have about uh, the treatment of just like, you know, black hair and Mm. and black folks in spaces, whether it's education, work, anything, right? We need more of those to continue to normalize it. And so, like, you know, we need the Crown Act and all these things that are, you know, people are working on legislation-wise. But it's wonderful that teachers are able to create a joy and also understand that, yeah, there do need to be more black teachers, especially from a um, from a hair perspective, but then also from a um, when it comes to kids getting in trouble and figuring out ways to handle that yeah. instead of just you know going to the extremes on certain things. And so, yeah, I think there's a conversation there that needs to be had, and I'm happy that this teacher is sparking it. Definitely it's beautiful. So a big shout out to Miss Sefa at Sefa with an F underscore English. Go check her out on Twitter right now and support her. She's doing great work, and that's our Yes Queen of the Day. Yeah. 
as Quaint. That also does it for our show today. But we are back weekdays here on Channel Q Live, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. On tomorrow's show, as we continue to talk about Trans Awareness Month, we are going to be talking about transgender non-binary students who are urging educators to use inclusive language. But unfortunately, not everyone is on board. So what do we do about that? That's on tomorrow's show, along with many other things, including great music here on Channel Q. If you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. Just go to the Odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search for Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Now stick around for Love Line with Dr. Chris, where he's talking about dealing with triggers. That's next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you.